friendly reminder, next Sunday is our member gathering. So if you are a current Covenant member, uh, to remember that next Sunday we are meeting uh, from 1230 to 230 uh, for that. And uh, look forward to seeing you there. We're going to go over a lot of great, uh, exciting just ways we want to continue to be uh, just faithful in our membership and have it meaningful uh, for all of us. So uh, there will be lunch provided. There will be child care for infant through uh, like first grade, and uh, just make sure you mark that for next Sunday. Uh, and then if you're not a member, if you are not someone who has kind of uh, dialed in here and said, this is where I really want to uh, place my feet for a while, our next member class is November 17th, and just want to let you know you can register online for that. You do not have to take that class. We don't like laser you in and put a scan on you that says you're now officially a member. It's even if you're just like exploring what membership is, wondering what we teach, wondering who we are, uh, wanting to kind of get behind the scenes a little bit and get to know our structure, doctrine, staff, and, uh, and just kind of how we operate as a church. That's a great first step for you, and so uh, I would encourage you to sign up for that and uh, be a part of that um, if the Lord leads you in that way. That'll be from 1 to 3.30 on Sunday, November 17th. You can register online. So um, if you are new or visiting, glad you're here, glad you get to worship with us. We love to worship Jesus. So if you're uh, wondering exactly who we're worshiping and why we're worshiping, it's because we believe that Jesus did what we could never do, which is uh, being gifted righteousness that we did not have, that we needed an obedient life that we did not have. We were sinful, he was sinless, and he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose, and he gifted us his own work so that we would be made righteous as we stand before God. So this brings reconciliation with God, this brings forgiveness of sin, this brings brings joy and glory to his name. And so uh, we want to encourage you and, and let you know that that's why we sing. That's why we sing the songs that we sing on Sundays. That's why we sit under the teaching of God's word, which we're going to do uh, right now. We can remind ourselves what God has said, not what we think or we believe should be said. Uh, we also observe the Lord's Supper each week. That's why you see tables up front. Uh, we like to remember and be nourished by having these saving benefits that are ours through Jesus and his person and work. And so um, that's another way that we're nourished and strengthened in this great gospel work. We don't believe this meal gifts righteousness. We don't believe it changes your stance with God. We don't believe it increases favor in any way, shape, or form. We believe Christ alone does that, and this strengthens us and nourishes us. And then finally, we give because God was generous in giving us his son, and we give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And I always say, if you're not a regular attender or member, uh, please do not feel compelled to give. We're thrilled that you're here, and we genuinely want you to know Jesus. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive into First Peter and talk about all that he wants us to know. Uh, God, thank you for giving us the scriptures. Thank you that we do not need to speculate about you, that you've given us revelation. Uh, thank you that we do not need to wonder what you've said or wonder what you think. That, God, you have laid that before us in very clear, helpful ways. And we know we need the Holy Spirit of God to empower us and to equip us and allow us to understand things that can only be spiritually discerned. Um, and so we pray you would do that in kind ways, in patient ways, in helpful ways today. Uh, we pray that we leave more like your son because we were together. We pray that we would leave uh, more mindful of your personal work than we did when we walked in this morning. And may you shape us more to the image of your glorious son uh, increasingly, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, in Jesus' name, amen. First uh, Peter, First Peter 1, we're going to be in uh, verses 22, and we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 3, and here's uh, who Peter is. Peter is an, a, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus. He's somebody who uh, walked with Jesus. He was called by Jesus to do ministry, uh, to teach for Jesus, to uh, basically uh, do 
miracles for Jesus, and um, he witnessed Jesus go to the cross. He witnessed Jesus die. He witnessed Jesus rise from death. And through all of that, um, he had moments of denial, moment of moments of failure, moments of doubt. You see his humanity in his life, and ultimately, what we see is that Jesus reminds him that he's the one who keeps him firm. That Jesus is the one who holds your faith. That Jesus is the one who continually bears with you and forgives you of your sin. And that continued to transform Peter to where in Acts chapter 2 he gets up and he preaches the first sermon recorded post the ascension of Jesus Christ, which basically inaugurates the church of Jesus Christ and people start hearing this gospel, people are getting saved, people are believing in Jesus, people are trusting in the personal work of what Christ has done through Peter's words and then other men begin to preach and herald the same truth as God begins to establish his church. And so um, one of the things I'm going to continue to say every time I'm up here is as you read First Peter, I believe one of the things you got to always do and continually do is read it from that lens that Peter's writing you, he's writing us as elect exiles. Those are people who are despised by culture, uh, opposed by culture, maligned by culture, yet we're the most loved precious, prized people in Jesus Christ. So there's this amazing dichotomous life happening um, in the way that we live, and Peter wants to remind us that um, because you belong to Jesus, all these things I'm going to say matter, and all these things I'm going to say you can do, and all these things I'm going to write to you are yours because you belong to Christ, despite the opposition of persecution and, and ways that you're experiencing in a time and culture, which I think we are all um, no different from them back then to some degree. And so um, Peter today is going to tell us, again, because you, lo- because you belong to Jesus, last week he said, be holy, and this week he's going to say, love one another. So because you belong to Jesus, love each other. And the, the best part is you can because you belong to him. Right, So because we belong to Jesus means we've been given a love that's supernatural so we can love supernaturally. And Peter's going to remind us of that. And remember, um, this is all for missions and witness sake. It's not just, hey, love each other so you're happy as a family. That's not Peter's aim. Peter's aim is love each other so you become an increasing and reverberating witness to a world that only knows how to love naturally as you love supernaturally. Okay, so, so listen, God is all about showing himself off. That is, that is the reason he does anything. He even established the church so that we would be a visible display of him. That's why the church exists. I don't know if you knew that. That's, that's why we gather, not primarily so we're happy or sad or fulfilled or unfulfilled, but so that God might demonstrate who he is through his people and the watching world might see that and go, what is that? And scratch their head right? Why are they loving like that, right? So that's Peter's aim. Now, um, up to now in this letter, what has he done? He's reminded us that we're elect exiles. We belong to Jesus. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, this happened by you being born again. This happened through a supernatural means. And then he shows us how it puts us in a family, and it's a safe family. It's a secure family. Verse 5, it's an inheritance that's kept by God's power for you, that it will never change. It's undefiable. It's imperishable. It's, it, it's, it's, it's basically God guarding that until that final day. And then he rolls into how amazing this salvation is that the, the Holy Spirit preaches and angels wonder about, and, and the 
prophets were eagerly inquiring about. And then last week he showed us how um, this salvation that's happened, all this amazing realities of belonging to Jesus, um, you now act like who you are, right? You, you are holy now, so this imputed righteousness, this positional holiness God's given us in Christ, you can now live out practically. It is imparted to you day by day as you read your Bible and spend time with the saints and center to the teaching and preaching of God's word and gather for fellowship and do all these ordinary means of grace that God has given us, go to growth groups and make disciples, and uh, this is how he continues to impart that righteousness, and ultimately we saw at the end of that how much he actually loves you in this, it cost him the shedding of his blood, that the extent he went to make you belong to him was so costly that it cost him his own life, and now Peter's going to say, now that you're a people not just individuals living individually different, but a group of people collectively living differently. Here, we are to live a certain way that shows off that we're in this new family, so we love one another. And this loves to be, be a reverberating witness of another love, the love of God in Christ. Look at verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, this is the important statement. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Um, I love the way he says that. He throws in that word earnestly. Earnestly. That comes from the word octanos, which actually is a word that means you stretch and you stretch and you stretch till it hurts. Like that's the kind of love this is, right? It's, it's this idea of going and going and going and going. But what's awesome is it's because that's what, that's what you're designed to do. Like it's a love that stretches, but it's a love that you're able to do, not because you're very loving, but because you've been given a love, right, outside of you that, that in some crazy way allows you to stretch and stretch and stretch. That's, that's what Peter's getting at here. It's earnestly. You're, it's this love that stretches. And I know all of us are nailing this. Right? I mean, all of us have this down. Like, like if we're like, got that, move on, Pastor Mike. Like, that's, that's done. I mean, I mean, this week studying this, I'm going, man, a love that stretches. I go like, ow. <laughs> I mean, I'm so inflexible. Now, I don't know if you guys have taken physical therapy before. I had both my knees reconstructed in, in high school due to injuries. So um, when, they, when I got my surgeries done and they had to put in the new ligaments and a tendon, I... I like had to really over time learn how to restretch it, right? And so my knee could only bend like 10 degrees and then they had me in this weird machine with an ice pack and then over time it would, the more I stretched it, the farther I could go. Anyone ever do like the V-sit reach in PE growing up? Mine was negative. I literally, I couldn't even get to like, and Kristen, you know, she like touches her toes. Why does my wife like touch her toes? I can't hack this like as far as I go. Because over time, she stretched, right? She stretched over time. And over time, the more she did it, the farther she could stretch. And this is the idea of you growing in this love. That the more that you do it, the more it stretches. The more you apply it, the more you're able to do it. It's this stretching love. It's learning to grow in this. And notice he says, now that you've purified yourselves, though, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere brotherly love. <laughs> this simply means you were saved. 
This simply means that you've been given something in Christ, that that you have been purified by obeying the truth, you've obeyed the gospel, you've obeyed what Christ has done for you, you've you've listened to that. Peter's just reminding you of your conversion so that, listen, so that you can't do anything if the gospel hasn't happened. So, So this brotherly love that's coming out of you is because you've been born again. He's going to say it in just a minute. He's going to remind you again following this text. That's why I know he's talking about that because he's pulling from verse 3 in chapter 1 again. Remember you've been born again. Remember you have a new nature. Remember you have a new identity. Remember you have a new spirit. You actually have God inside you now. So this love I'm talking about is not something impossible for you. It's something fully possible for you. It's a love that stretches. It's a love that has been purified so that you can have sincere love Sincere brotherly love. And I love this. It's this idea that you, that you get to pursue this. Like you get to love like this. I love that about the Christian life. It's not, oh man, I got to love with a love that stretches. It's no, you get to do this. I mean, you get to love like no one else can. You get to stretch and stretch and stretch. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we become a visible display to the world of his love and his set-apartness. Um, Listen, God's intention has always been for his church to be a display of him. And these people are in the midst of persecution, they're in the midst of opposition, they're in the midst of being maligned, and Peter wants them to operate in such a way because he knows the temptation is going to be to revert to old habits and not operate as God's new people. Isn't that true when persecution comes or opposition comes in your life, you're tempted to revert back to the old ways and old patterns? Um, So he wants them to see God. He's saying a practical way is the way that you love through opposition, through persecution. Now, uh, I was thinking of a text that's a great example of this. Look at Colossians 3, 9 on the screen real quick. We'll go back to 1 Peter. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after who? The image of its creator. So, so listen, um, He says, now that you've put off the old self, been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what Paul says in this letter, what's the way that you display God to the world? You don't lie. (laughs) You don't lie. Now, Now here's what's awesome about this text. This is just one small example. I love the basis for you not lying. Because what do we tell our children? Don't lie, buddy, because it, it hurts people's feelings or it's not nice, right? Or uh, it, it, it creates even deceit, right? Those are all true things. Those are all merited things, but that shouldn't be why we tell our kids ultimately they shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. Like you don't lie because, because that's not imaging who made you. Like, like the reason, the fundamental reason that we don't lie, according to Colossians 3.9, this is one small example, is because we want to image him. We want to reflect him. And so this, this is the, the whole idea that the reason we do anything is ultimately because we've been made in the image of God and when God saves us and restores back to us and increasing me- measure his image, what's awesome is we begin to magnify his name as we live as he originally intended us to live. It's good news for us. It's good news for all. And so why can we love with a love that stretches? Great question. Verse 23, Peter answers it. Since you've been born again. Since you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Um, See, we all struggle loving certain types of people. 
don't we? I mean, I mean, some of us are like, man, they're too shy. I'm extroverted, you're introverted. Or I'm introverted, and they're extroverted. Or uh, they just kind of look weird. Or I don't know, I, the personality kind of rubs me the wrong way. Or, right? I mean, we all struggle with loving certain types of people. And so we just say, well, I can't love them. And Peter says, no, this love stretches beyond that. You've been born again. Love doesn't mean you spend all your time with people. It's a posture of the heart. How you feel. Um, and I love this. He says you were born again. How? Through the living word of God. Who is who? Jesus. John 1, he's the word. He's the living word. He's the active word. He's the agent of change in our life. And we've been born again by Jesus. He gave you a new way of thinking. He gave you a new family. He gave you an inheritance. He gave you all verses 1 through 12 that Peter just applied to you. That's who you are first as he's reminding you as to how we live now. And so God says, when the world says, love who's easy to love, you love with my love. You bear with each other. You put up with each other. Colossians 3. I love that. When he says bear with, it literally just means just put up with each other. Would you? I mean, don't you have to put up with your own family? No, you do. You're all liars. I mean, like, like same thing in the Christian family. You've got to learn to put up with each other. Um, and you no longer love naturally, but supernaturally. I, I was, this verse really kind of like dialed me in. This whole idea of, of Peter basically saying, you're capable to do this, and here's why. <laughs> I thought about, I don't know if you guys have um, ever seen a Pinto car. Are you familiar with Pintos? I really want you to understand this, so I, I'm giving you a picture. I don't normally do this, but I've got a picture for you. I think it's going to be up. Okay, this is, this is a Pinto. So when I say a Pinto, so let me, let me just tell you a brief story. My brother Brian and I, we were in high school. We really wanted a car. Like that, that was just like our dream because we lived close enough to where you could see Madison High School. We went to high school, but we wouldn't be caught dead walking, right? That's not cool. You don't walk to school right, in high school. Okay, so people would come from Madison High School and park. We had a huge cul-de-sac. They would come and park at our house to walk to the high school. That's how close we were. My parents would be like, you guys are crazy. Like, walk. We're like, we can't walk. Like, that looks so bad. We have to drive somewhere and park. So there's this, there just, just, so there, Louise Archer Middle School was like nearby. Louise Archer was farther away from the school than our house. Yet we would drive to Louise Archer to park, to walk, to school. And we'd have our backpacks on. So my brother was two years older than me. So, so my brother got his license, and I think I was a freshman at this time in high school, and he was a junior. I'm like, great, mom, dad, can we get a car? You know, that's like the big deal. And they're like, no. And, I was like, and they're like, well, we don't care what it is. Like, just get us anything. Like, just get us a car. No lie, my dad comes home one evening and we, we, we hear like this backfiring, like at the top of our street. And my dad comes down the street, pulls in the driveway in a Pinto. In a Pinto. Now, this Pinto was so beat up. It, it had marks on the side. There was a, a hole in the floor. You could see the road. No lie, right? So we're like, why is dad at a Pinto? So he walks in. He's got the keys. He's like, hey, Brian, Mike, come downstairs. We, we, we come downstairs, and he's like, hey, guys, I bought you a car, and we hadn't seen it yet. We were like, no way. Dad bought us a car? 
yeah, I got you guys a car, man, you're going to love it. You said anything, right? I'm like, yeah, anything, man, anything that gets us to be able to drive to school. He's like, all right, here are the keys. He's like, just walk out front, go through the carport, and you'll see the carport. We were, we were freaking out. We could not believe that dad bought us a car, and Brian and I walked, run outside. You should see your faces. We're like, what is that? What is that? What is that thing that looks like just a mountain of garbage in our driveway? And my dad's like, that's a Pinto. I got it for 700 bucks. It's like 700 bucks. Okay. He's like, yeah, why don't you guys take it for a drive? So we're like, all right, I guess. So Brian and I get in. It's the kind where you have to almost like sit like this because your head like hits the roof. So we're sitting in the front. <laughs> we roll down the driveway. Don't even have to <laughs> turn it on yet. It doesn't even have a break. We roll down the driveway, we get in, and I'm like, all right, Brian, well, let's just like drive by some friends' houses. And we start trying to go up the hill, and it won't even go. And I'm like, Brian, push the gas. And he's like, I'm flooring it. And he has it all the way down. You floor it, and it's going 14 miles an hour. So we tried to make our way by some friends' houses. We literally were just, and it was backfiring, and so I get to my junior year, my best friend Matt gets a BMW M3 as his first car. And I'm like, man, that kind of stinks. Like, my first car was a Pinto that went 14 miles an hour. And the most frustrating thing about this was Matt would not, like, use it. So, like, he'd pick me up, and we'd get in, and we'd be driving to school, and he'd just kind of like, you know, mm, you know, like, I'm like, go fast. Like, no, I'm not going to go fast. I'm like, go fast. Like, that's the car you have. Use it. He's like, no, no, no. And he had subs in the back. That's stupid. Do you guys remember that? So apparently it was really cool to have subs. Like, he would just blast music, and we would vibrate the whole way through <laughs> the, the, the parking lot. But I would always have this thing where I'm like, Matt, like, why are you not going fast? And that's what it's designed to do. It's how it's designed to be driven. And here's what I was thinking is we... Literally, as Christians, have a Lamborghini and we're driving it like a Pinto. Seriously. We're like just cruising through Christianity. God's going, what are you doing? Like I've given you a V12. I mean, 6.5 liter, 5,500 RPM torque in you. I know nothing about cars. I looked it up. Like that's... <laughs> I, I don't, just in case you're wondering, I, I, don't, I did not, that's a Lamborghini engine. I had to Google it. I, I, I just, and I'm going like, this is what God's given us. I mean, he's telling you in chapter three, you've been born again. You've been given this new identity and new power. And we're going, I can't love. I can't stretch. I can't be a witness. I can't, he's going to later say, put away malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy. I can't do those things. I can't say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. You don't realize the Holy Spirit of God that's in you, that's equipped you and enabled you to do those things. You don't appeal to his power. You don't appeal to his presence. You're sitting in this beat up, disgusting pinto that you think you're driving. That was the old life. He's given you a brand new Lamborghini to sit in and drive. Really has. Some of you might not get that at all. I get it, so I hope it lands. Right, this is what he's trying to get after. See, Peter is basically saying, dare you to hit the gas. I dare you. You think you can't do this? You think you're not able to withstand persecution from culture? I dare you. 
He's trying to build spiritual steel in your spine. As we're going to be faced with an ever-changing culture and people that don't like what we say and the word of God being preached and heralded, heralded and um, that's what he's trying to do for us. So because Jesus has forgiven you of your worst sin, you can forgive others. You know that? You can forgive people. Because you've been loved with a supernatural love, you can love others. Some of you, you don't realize how serious your sin is, and that's why you're not forgiving. Some of you do not realize the love been shown you in Christ, so that's why you're not loving. If we're going to be honest, then Peter's saying, no, you have been shown that. I just told you about it in the beginning of this letter, so love like it. Because Jesus stretched his love all the way to the cross, into the grave, out through resurrection for you and I. And he wants us to feel that, know that. So watch me work through the ways that you love others in a way that stretches. Verse 24, this is why he says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I love that he says flesh, people, humanity, culture, opposition comes and goes. All flesh is like grass. It withers and falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Remember, the people that Peter's writing to are being maligned. They're being oppressed. They're being opposed. They're being persecuted. Listen, um, there were actually, if you study and look into this time, governmental degrees telling believers, people who were turning to Christ, to put down their Bible, and if they didn't, they'd be burned or boiled. This is insane. And Peter is now saying to these brothers and sisters and saying to us, rejection will come and go. Rome, who's over them at the time, that'll come and go. Uh, Presidents in America, they'll come and go. The word of God's not going anywhere. That's remaining forever. That's gonna stand. So what he's doing is he's, he's encouraging us now in loving one another, being a witness, not being tempted to forsake our mission, remembering we learned it through the true word of God, Jesus, and we learn it now through the written word of God, which we study and which is being preached to us. This is the good news, he says. I mean, we can care so much about what everyone else says that we forget that this stands forever, right? I don't know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. Because they don't agree with that. Okay, that's actually a way that you can love them. It's by telling them the truth and loving them to Jesus. So they might see that this word of God does stand forever. What culture says doesn't stand forever. What people say doesn't stand forever. What a pastor says doesn't stand forever. What God says stands forever. It's the only thing that stands forever. And that's what Peter's reminding them of. Listen, if, if you're like gauge is only how the world responds to you, you will not live with true love and true joy. (laughs) Like if the gauge on your heart is only how people respond to you, and I'm talking about outside the church, I'm talking about with opposition and persecution to who you are as loving Jesus and making his name known, like if that's your only gauge, then you will not live with true joy and true love because you're not truly loving them and you can't have true joy. 
So understand, Peter is showing us in response to the living, abiding, forever standing word of God, you need to know there will be rejection, there will be opposition, there will be persecution. These people are facing the temptation in the midst of opposition to forsake their mission, and Peter's saying, stand firm. Stand firm. He was preaching the word of God. I mean, this is awesome. Jesus is the one who comes and preaches, right, as the only true living word. And what happened to him? It killed him. He rises. Peter gets up, one of the first apostles, disciples after Jesus' ascension, and he's preaching the word of God. And it is the most non-seeker-sensitive sermon you'll ever read in the Bible, You think like, I'm bad. I mean, you should just read Peter's. You killed Jesus. Repent. (laughs) Blood's on your hands. And people like repenting, 3,000. Mega churches formed. So don't hate them. Right? This is amazing. The gospel's preached. The word of God goes forth. And I love that he says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is why, friends, we do not follow what word of man says, but the word of God says. This is why we teach through books of the Bible. This is why we teach what God writes in the scriptures and not just what a pastor that gets up here has opinions about. Right? The word of God transforms you. The word of God shapes you. The word of God is the thing that does anything for us as a people. And listen, the second you drift from that, you've just rung the death bell. Right? Anytime a church does that or a culture does that, you've rang the death bell. So that's why Peter is saying, remember, this good word must be preached. This good word was preached to you. For those of us who were Christians at some point in time, this good news was preached to you, and you heard this good news. You saw it as good news. You saw, wow, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. It's by grace, through faith in Christ alone. I can't merit it or earn it or do anything to accomplish for myself salvation. I realized that I tried to be God, and I was an idolater. I was not worshiping the true God, and God came in mercy. God came in kindness. God came in love and God stretched all the way down to my soul and saved me from myself, saved me from sin, made me his own kid, gifted me his righteousness, took my sinful nature, gave me his sinless nature, took my very unrighteous ways and gave me his perfectly spotless, blameless, righteous ways and made me as Christ. And you said, amen. Amen. That good news was preached to you. That's why Romans 10 says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to know if someone's not sent? That's why we believe in the preaching and teaching of God's word. So as long as you come here, that's why you're going to hear God's word. And the church needs to hear God's word. And preaching needs to be the main anchor and rudder of the ship that steers itself as the church. And that's what Peter is getting at amidst changing culture and persecution for any church to stand, the good news has to be preached to you. It has to be preached to me. And this is why we preach the gospel to our hearts every Sunday. Because Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus came, Jesus rose. And listen, the word of God being preached to you is the only way that you will build steel in your spiritual spine. You want to stand against opposition today and tomorrow as you head into the office? (laughs) You better have the word of God preached to you. I better have the word of God preached to me. You better have the word of God living and active in your heart somewhere. You better have his promises nearby. 
You better remember that you're forgiven, not condemned. You better remember that he's the one who made you righteous. You didn't make yourself righteous. You have to. Listen, we don't have time to listen to man's opinions. We, what we do need is we don't have time for that when we have God's definitive, unchanging, everlasting, forever standing word. I love this. And this is the only news that transforms. That's why he says this. Chapter 2, verse 1, so, so what, Peter? So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter knows that once we've met Jesus and been transformed by Jesus, that we will be tempted in persecution and in opposition, and in life to revert to old patterns and old habits and forsake our mission and forget who we are and forget what we've been called into. He knows that. So he's a wise writer. He's inspired by the spirits. Of course he's wise. And he lists behaviors that before Christ, these are consistent in us. And, And what do each of these categorical behaviors do? They bring about death, and they hinder a witness, right? Jesus came. We belong to Jesus now, so we live to life so that we have his witness. His witness empowers our witness. So he's showing you, be careful. These things, these residual effects of the fall are going to bubble up in you. Make sure you put them away. You don't put them away by your own vitality. You put them away by remembering who Christ is, that you've been born again, and apply the gospel once again to your heart, and you press in headlong to Jesus Christ so that it breaks these things in your life. You're not a sin manager. You're not trying to just make sure malice is good. Now I move on to the next one. It's a constantly pursuing Christ as that is what actually begins to break these chains in your life. And he shows you here these categorical behaviors. We've been born again to bring about life. So we no longer live according to the flesh, which produces malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. We now live by the Holy Spirit, which produces life and love. So we have a new way of living, Peter's saying. He just said, we live according to the word of God now. It stands forever. That's how we live. That's how we get our cues. And so Peter just told us we're capable of loving with a love that stretches, So that means you don't want to be filled with malice. You don't want to be filled with deceit. You don't want to be filled with hypocrisy. You don't want to be filled with envy and slander. That's the the new spirit doesn't want those things. It doesn't mean we don't do those things, but at the end of the day, the deepest longing and desire in your heart is to not want to be those things. And so he shows you your deepest desires have changed. You've been born again. And these categories are all the opposite of love. He just talked about love. They're all the opposite of what love is. Malice simply means to desire to do evil towards people. Deceit means to misrepresent the truth. Hypocrisy is an inverted way to deceive whereby we claim to have beliefs that we ourselves don't even conform to. Envy means you're discontent due to someone else's possessions or someone else's qualities. So instead of rejoicing with them, you covet them. Slander is to try and make yourself look good by making someone else look bad. So there's jealousy there. So you're constantly trying to get someone else to look in a darker light 
so that you can look in a brighter light. Now, if you pit these, all of these biblically against just the classic love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, you see the stark contrast. Because Peter's talking about a love that stretches. He's talking about loving earnestly with brotherly love. And, and in 1 Corinthians 13, just listen to this. It says, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is what? Kind. Love isn't malicious. It doesn't delight in evil. Love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, rejoices in the truth. It's not deceitful in misrepresenting the truth. Love doesn't envy, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, or boast, it longs to lift up others. Love does not slander, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love hopes all things and believes all things and bears all things. See that? And this is why Peter can say, like newborn infants, long now for the word of God to grow up by the word of God. So just like in your natural birth, you're born, you slowly begin to change and learn and grow. In your spiritual rebirth, you once again learn how to grow and change and learn. We're doing all this by what? By the word of God. So we get our cues, we get our direction, we get our meal from what the word of God says over time. And this word of God does something to us. It transforms us. Did you know that you're literally, as you're sitting here, hearing the word of God being transformed? Did you know that every time you open up this book, you're and you read it, with the Holy Spirit's help, you are being transformed. You're being changed, you're being altered. So we can love one another through the natural, not the natural way, but supernatural way. Because in the natural way of loving, you don't need the power, presence, and help of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural way, you need the help of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God helping us to learn how to do this, to love as God has loved us. And Peter says, you do all of this if you have what? Tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And how have you and I tasted and seen that the Lord has been supremely good to us? Yes, in Him loving us. I mean, we have preeminently tasted and seen the Lord is good, that he would love sinners. That's why Peter started with love with a love that stretches, and you can do this because you yourself have tasted and seen that God's been so good to you, that God has actually loved you in that way. See, love does not just say something, love does something. And this is why God in Christ didn't just say, I love you, he did something. That's why Romans says he demonstrated his love, right, by sending his son, by giving himself, by gifting us Jesus. He didn't just say, I love you. You're in sin, but I love you. He said, I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to bridge the gap for you. I'm going to stretch my love to you. I'm going to do this in a way by which you actually can sense, feel, and experience my love for you. That's amazing. That's powerful. And this is how we begin to love one another because only then can our life now begin to reflect the supernatural because we ourselves have tasted and seen that God is so good to us. I can't believe he loves Mike Reed. I'm telling you, I wake up every morning asking that. I can't believe that's true about me, that he loves me. Don't think about other people. That's your temptation. 
I can't believe he loves me the way that he has said he does in the text of Scripture. I can't believe that. Don't ever get over that. Don't ever think you need to move on to bigger theology. Just sit there. And, and when God says, I'll give you forgiveness of sin and gift you my righteousness and give you any eternal inheritance, he says, now will you reflect that back? What a church to be a part of. I mean, it's changing culture. What a mission to be involved in. That we're reflecting that in the ways that it first starts here with us. Peter's point, I think, in all this is that we can be so unified in what we believe, but so disunified in the way it's lived out. And that's it starts here. And so he's saying God's witness is at stake. So put away your old life. Put away your malice. Put away your envy. Put away your hypocrisy. Put away your deceit. And continually strive to live according to how I've lived for you and how I look to you. So that as the world watches and either other brothers and sisters in the church watch you operate, it will be a testimony to who I am. It's not at the end of the day about anyone telling you, wow, you're really loving. It has nothing to do with you. Wow, God's really loving. You must have really been penetrated by something outside of you to operate the way that you do. And this is why Jesus prayed, and with this in John 17, familiar text, high priestly prayer. I love it. I, I, I can't get away from it because it's just so weird. He says, may they become perfectly one. He's talking to his disciples, talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about non-believers. May they become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and have loved them the way you've loved me. Is this not everything Peter just said? Why did he want the church to be brought to unity? Why did he want them to love? What was the reason Jesus was praying before you and I existed that we would see this demonstrated and realized in our life? So that we, people would actually know him. They would actually know the way that He's been sent and loved them the way you've loved me. The Father's loved Jesus. He wants the world to see in the church as a watching witness the way the Father God loves the Son. And as we receive that love through the gospel, we now live that out so the world can see the ways that God has actually loved his Son. And people are drawn to repentance and faith. And people are drawn to the cross and drawn to forgiveness of sin in Jesus because they're seeing it as a witness. And that's why I think this is so weird. I'm thinking, no, if I'm going to prove Jesus, I'm going to just show you why the Bible's reliable. I'm going to show you all the archaeological facts. I'm going to get out my apologetic script. All that stuff is good and important. Jesus here, he says, no, when you're loving so supernaturally and not naturally, the world's going to know then it's going to start to be a testimony and a reverberating witness. John 13, 34 to 35. A common verse, look at it closely. Last one I'll give you. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. I'm sure Peter was here hearing this. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. <laughs> if you love one another, I mean, could it be any more clear from Jesus himself? You loving one another has nothing to do with you guys just being more happy and, and feeling better in your heart. You loving one another is so people would see my love. You loving one another is missional. It's so that people would see a witness of Jesus and his work. This verse usually we throw it out here to convict people on friendship evangelism. That's not at all what he's talking about, man. He's talking to his disciples. 
He's talking to people that love him already, and he's saying, man, would, would you do this so they'll see a picture of me? I'm not saying we don't love our enemies. Jesus repeatedly said that. But Jesus is getting at something deeper, and Peter's getting at something deeper in his letter. If we can't love our own family well, you can't love the world well. Okay? How are you going to love your neighbor? How, how are you going to love your non-believing coworker? If, if you can't love the family of God, you can't. And that's what Peter wants us to see. So as we close, we're going to sing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And these are all acts of worship. And you know what worship does? Worship just helps us examine our hearts. It helps us to see where we're at. helps us to take honest stock of our souls. And so as we prepare to worship, I, I, one of the ways we guard against malice, deceit, envy, slander, and not love towards one another is worship allows us to do introspection. Sunday morning allows us to do that, not just your scattered communities during the week. So maybe just take a moment and pay attention as you examine your heart and ask, where am I at? Jesus, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear? Holy Spirit of God, would you help me to understand the love you have for me first, the forgiveness I have from you first? Is there anyone you have malice towards, envy towards? Is there anyone you're slandering? And the remedy is first to see his great love for you, to see his love that stretches. Others of you may feel like, Mike, I just, I, I can't believe that God loves me. And so maybe for some of you, once again, it's just to lay on the table all the reasons that you feel God can't love you and God can't accept you and hear paid in full and hear righteous because you were unrighteous and hear giving you sinlessness to your sinfulness and hear Christ alone declares you righteous and hear again that all your sins were sins God knew before he died for you. Maybe it'll help, just if you're wondering. I mean, just the extent he took, the seriousness of your sin was either hell or the killing of Jesus. And he's gifting you Jesus. He's offering that to you. His love's sacrificial. His love was demonstrative. You always have a place to look. Charles Spurgeon said, when you can't even feel God's love, you can always trace his hand by looking at the cross of Christ. So regardless of how you feel today, we can look at objective truth and we can remember that through the supper, the body broken, blood shed for forgiveness of sin. Jesus, help us to grow in a love together, a love that would be a witness to one another and to the watching world. I pray that because you loved us with a stretching love, we'd be able to love with a love that stretches to others. I pray that you put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and envy from our hearts. Only you can do that. We pray we do that by often and readily going back to you and remembering what you have first given us through the work of your son. So you would continually purify us as we're obedient to this truth. 
Jesus, thank you for how you already and desire to continually use your church as a witness. We pray that you would use church at Bergen in that way and, and churches in New Jersey and churches in America and churches across the nations. That you would continually do what you promised and making them a visible display of your glory, name, and character. In Jesus' name, amen.